Well, once again, welcome to First Christian Church. For those who are guests here today, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Wayne. It's my privilege to be part of the pastoral team here, and we're looking forward to, I'm looking forward to spending some time with you in Scripture today. We're going to be reading from Psalm 23, a passage of Scripture that's often read at, um, in funerals and probably rarely preached in, um, during weekend services, but we're going to take a look at it today. And if you don't own a Bible, you'll notice there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Grab that. And if you don't have one at the house, take that home as our gift to you. We'd be honored if you'd do that, all right? While you're looking for Psalm 23, it's more or less right in the middle. Just kind of open it up in the middle, and it'll, you'll find the Psalms, okay? Um, I want to ask you, though, before we get to looking at Psalm 23, do you know anything about Shrek? Do you know who Shrek is? Do you know who Shrek is? Aren't they great movies? I think they're hilarious. And what's the name of the cat? Well, some of you, I'd have no idea either, so there you go. What's his name? Pussycat? Is that right? I don't know. Help me out here, somebody. Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots, whatever. I don't know. It's the Spanish guy that does it, right? I'm going down a track. I just need to move on. Move on. Because really, the sermon is about this guy anyway. I want to tell you about another Shrek. This guy is Shrek the Sheep. Okay? Isn't that a classic photo? Isn't he big? Look at that. He's from New Zealand. His name is Shrek. And uh, if you followed his story over the last decade or so, you'll, you'll know all about this, that Shrek shouldn't look like that. That is six years of fleece on him. Here's what happened. You know, in New Zealand, um, there are more sheep than there are people, truly. So things that happen to sheep down there, it's their biggest industry. The nation pays attention. In April of, 20, of 2004... Shrek was discovered after six long years of his rancher, his shepherd, thinking he was dead out in the wilderness of New Zealand somehow, somewhere or other. And they learned that he'd been hiding in caves in, on the family farm. And he had been not coming in when the rest of the sheep were brought in. He'd been hiding. And so thus, sheep are supposed to be shorn every year. That's a hard thing to say. Sheep are supposed to be shorn once a year. And um, he had managed to escape it for six years. So when they finally found him, and this photo began to be circulated around the people in New Zealand, it became a national moment. And so they said, when it gets shown, we want to show it on national television. So it wouldn't happen here. I don't think this would make a national TV show, but it did in New Zealand. And so they cut all that fleece off him. Now, normally when a sheep is shorn, the fleece weighs less than 10 pounds. In Shrek's case... It weighed over 60 pounds, six times what he should be carrying, he was carrying around. It's enough wool for 20 men's suits. That's, that, that's a big output. I mean, that's, that's, but here's what's tragic about it. While we, we kind of marvel at the story and everything, do you know, he ended up carrying all that extra stuff for no reason at all. He ended up because he ended up living like that where he could barely eat and can hardly see, they said. For what reason? Well, he didn't listen to his shepherd's voice. Anyone guess where this sermon's going? <laughs> Some of you are really, really bright, okay? <laughs> so we're going to read in Psalm 23 about listening to the shepherd's voice and what happens if you listen. And uh, the goal today is, can we avoid being Shrek? That's simple, simply straight. And can we hear the guidance of God in our lives? Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He, he guides me along the paths, pardon me, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what would Psalm 23 have to say to us today about not getting stuck in the wrong cave, not getting lost, not struggling with a bunch of weight that we real, and a bunch of just junk that we have to carry that kind of accumulates over years? How do we not do that? How do we manage to stay close to God and in his presence and hearing his voice so that we won't mess up? If you're a guest with us today, let me say that what we're doing right now is we're in the middle of a sermon series talking about the presence of God. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how do you get guidance from being in the presence of God? The presence of God, that's kind of a strange term, isn't it? For where you go, what is that? Well, let me see if I can explain it this way. And for guests, just bring up the speed real quickly. Leslie and I, my wife and I, had the opportunity, a wonderful experience, to spend the month of March in Israel this past year. We weren't there as a tour, as a tour group. We were there just to kind of travel around the country and see things on the pace that we were able to, wanted to do. So we were in an apartment right outside the old city of Jerusalem. And whenever we were in the city of Jerusalem, we would, those days, we'd often walk into the old city and go down to the Western Wall. That's the wall that you see on the photograph behind me. It's uh, 187 feet long. Men go on one side of the wall and women go on the other side. And um, uh, you've probably seen videos of this where Israelis come up to the wall and they begin to do this as they pray. Or maybe you'll see them put their hand on it or actually even put their forehead right up against those bricks and lean against those stones. Those stones at the base of the wall are 3,000 years old. If you could excavate below the plaza, it goes down another 17 feet and actually carries on for uh, quite a few feet beyond what you can see where there are actually homes up against it. And so as a result, they, you can't see that portion of the wall. So if you go there, you can go and you can pray. And Leslie and I did that on a number of occasions. And what became the starting point, if you will, for this sermon series was the experience that I had the first time we went there. And I had my hand on the wall and I was praying. And it occurred to me, you know, this is the most holy site in all of the Jewish faith because it is the structure that is closest in proximity to the, what was the Holy of Holies for the people of Israel. 1000 BC or so, King Solomon builds a temple on top of the mountain or on top of the hill that, where that wall is. If you go up 65 feet and a few feet over from there, you get to the temple that, that Solomon built. It's no longer there. It was destroyed in, by the Babylonians in 586. And inside that rectangular building was a room at one end that became, we would say, is the Holy of Holies. And after the temple was built, they actually saw this big cloud of God come down and enter itself into that Holy of Holies. And to make a long story short, that building was set up so that the audience, the congregation, was on one side of the building. And on the other end of the building, at the far end, was the Holy of Holies, where when they built that place where God actually resided, his presence, his, his spirit was right there. And the, the spirit of God was separated from the people 
by a, a very thick curtain, four inches thick, hand embroidered, and it stood in the way of anyone coming into the presence of God because if you went in there unannounced, you would get singed, so to speak, uh, because you don't just approach God nonchalantly. So once a year, the high priest would go in there and he would ask for forgiveness for the sins of the people. The real, tangible, at that point, visible presence of God, this cloud, was right there. And that was the way it was for many, many years. As a matter of fact, there's pictures of this, um, pictures, I say there are, not photographs, but there are stories of this before even the temple was built of how that worked. We're going to look at this in just a moment. But when Jesus died, it was a dramatic shift in this business that nobody gets to experience the presence of God one-on-one. -on -one. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 27, it says that when Jesus died, when he gave up his spirit, when his body stopped, that the temple veil, the curtain, was literally torn in two from top to bottom, and suddenly God's spirit was accessible for all people. And that was a whole new approach to understanding and experience the presence of God. That's what we live on today, where God's spirit is available to us, and you don't have to be the high priest who goes in once, once a year, but instead... Here among us today, the Spirit of God is here. The presence, if you will, of God is here. And there are pictures and stories about this in the Old Testament, uh, going back prior to when the temple was built, back to when the people of Israel first came out of Egypt as slaves. You know, probably they were there as slaves. Fellow by the Moses leads them out through a bunch of divine interventions. And as they make their way from Egypt across the Red Sea through the Sinai Peninsula into what they called the Promised Land, which is present-day Israel. God led them. The presence of God led them there. It took them 40 years to get there. They had about 3 million people. It takes a lot to move 3 million people that distance. And so if, if, if they were camped somewhere and God wanted them to move, that cloud, that same cloud would be in the sky and it would begin to move, the cloud that they identified as God. At nighttime, in order to see where God was, that cloud became a pillar of fire. And when the pillar of fire moved, they would have moved. And that's how they made their way as a nation, three million of them, to the promised land over a period of 40 years. We have these descriptions in the book of Exodus of what it was like to, get, to see that cloud come down to Mount Sinai. Moses would go and he would get instructions from God. Moses would, Moses would hear God's voice. The people would actually hear God's voice. And he would go in and he'd come, come out with instructions. And in Exodus chapter 33, you can see exactly how this played out. It's going to be on the screen here for us. Moses is now in the cloud, in the place of fire. On, and, and he says, if you are pleased with me, God, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now think, I mean, here's God saying... I'm going to lead you, and my presence is going to go with you. So there's something about this business of leadership, guidance for where to go in life, and the presence of God being tied together. And do you notice it says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. It is the same sort of sentiment that we find in Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You get this idea of this sense of being Following God in the things that God calls us to, there's a place of peace. Now, I'm not saying where it's just sit down and do nothing, but there's a sense of purpose, there's a sense of direction in life, and you know where you're going, and there's peace there. So, 
God says to Moses, you, you guys walk with me and my presence will go with you. And then Moses, in the most, almost audacious moment, says this. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and that you're with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? In other words, God, I want everybody to know that we walk with you. And so if people look at us, how will they know that we're walking with you unless they can see that your presence is among us? And then he asks at the end of the chapter, for a personal marker, a personal marker of what it's going to look like, carrying on in the rest of the chapter. Moses said, now show me your glory. Can you imagine being audacious enough to say, God, I want your presence with me so people will know that we're walking with you, that we hang out together. But beyond that, I, I want to see you. I'm here in your presence, and I know what it's like to be right beside you, but I want to look at you. And the Lord says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you can't see my face, for no one may see me and live. If you look me eye to eye, you're toast, so to speak. So to speak, okay? He says, but on the other hand, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock. In other words, there'll be an opening in the rock, and you can hide in there and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I don't know exactly what that looked like. In my mind's eye, it's kind of like this, that, that Moses is on the rock and as God's coming close, God puts his hand or covers his face. I, you have to be a little bit careful there because God, I don't know that God looks like humans, but there you go. He's, somehow the God covers Moses' hand and as he goes past, then he releases his hand and Moses at least gets to see God's back. There's something there about God's presence, about leadership. And you know what else is there? There's a lot of stuff there about reverence before God. And acknowledging, hey, we can be audacious enough to say, God, I want you to lead me. God, I want you to have your presence with me. I want, you to, I want to be in your exact place. God, all I have is yours. That sort of stuff. But to do it out of a position of reverence for who God is. I saw this when we were in Israel in a powerful way. I noticed as I was standing at the base of the wall, my hand on the wall, that first of all, I was stunned by the variety of people that were there. In my mind's eye, I had anticipated that all the people who would be at the, at the base of that wall would be very strong um, Hasidic Jews who had curls and tall hats and black robes and that sort of stuff. And there were plenty of people there like that. But beyond that there, I was stunned by the number of teenagers and the number of I'm on the men's side, so I'm looking at the men, but the number of young men that were dressed in Western garb, but praying. They may not were doing, maybe they weren't doing this, but they had their hands on the wall, their foreheads on the wall praying, putting their notes in the wall, and we'll talk more about that next week. But then, out of reverence for the sake of what they believe, that this is the most holy place, and this is the closest they'll ever get to the presence of God, they don't believe that the temple veil was torn and all that sort of stuff. But nonetheless, you know what they did as they leave that wall? They don't turn around. They don't want God to see their rear end. Bottom line. That's it. It sounds gross, but it makes sense, doesn't it? And so I'm thinking about that and going, you know, I know God's presence really isn't up 65 feet and a few feet over, but I want to 
respect these Jewish people that I'm standing with. And I also want God to know, yeah, I've got a lot of reverence for who you are. And so I just would back up about 100 feet or so, maybe 140, 50 feet before I'd turn around. That is all about Psalm 23. About a sense of that God is leading us, that God's presence is right beside us, and that God will call us to live the kind of lifestyle that he wants us to live and that is righteous and holy and pure, and that when we come to decisions about this, that, and the other, that God will lead us. Read again Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths, the right paths. Not just paths, but the right paths for his namesake. For his namesake so that, other will know that others will know that his presence is with me. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. That's not your employees, by the way. <laughs> your staff, that's the shepherd's crook. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what? This is a passage about direction. It's about God's leadership. It's about God being in charge of our lives, regardless of whether or not we're at the quiet waters or in the place of chaos or in the dark valley, that if we walk with God in the midst of the most difficult decisions, God will bring us to the quiet place, the place where there's peace and there's contentment. There's a place of direction and purpose in our lives. And we get to get out of the chaos. You know, God rarely, rarely leads us into chaos. I wish I had time to unpack that with you this morning. Now and then, maybe God would let us go into chaos in order to make us take a look at our priorities, to help us maybe to focus a little more sharply on the things that he would want us to get involved in, or maybe a new direction, a new understanding of how we're doing life. God might occasionally let chaos come into our lives, but that chaos is not the long-term goal for us. The goal is for us to be listening to the shepherd, following him on the right path so people will glorify him and then coming to the place of quietness. And that's the kind of leadership stuff I want. Regardless of where God leads me, I want God to say whether I'm in chaos that he's put me in or whether or not I'm in the quiet place, which is a long-term goal, I want to say, God, I will follow you. All that I have, I'm trying to learn is yours. All of who I am, I'm trying to learn is you. We saw this in a remarkable way, rather offhandedly through a, an event that took place that I've asked Les to come and tell you about right now because I think, well, she'll do a better job of it than I will, by all means, trust me. <laughs> Good morning. We, I, I just want you to know, when we were over there every day, when I say every day was a new day, I mean, it really was a new an exciting day, never knowing what was going to happen. But on this particular morning, it was decided that we were going to try to find the place where David and Goliath fought. And so sure enough, we had our little folders book and we had the Bible and we were reading and studying. Well, we found the place. And so if you see these two, you want to describe that? Well, the hill on the right is, is where, this is where David and Goliath had their fight. Okay. 
Big, da- big Goliath, little David, and perhaps you know that story. Wayne was trying to pick up stones. I was looking for his, he had five, <laughs> five. stones. I figured he might have dropped one. I was looking for one. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the hill on the right is uh, where, where, the, where the, Israeli for- the Israelite forces were. The hill on the left, further in the distance, is where the Philistine forces were. And where that track comes down out of, that, out of the hill there on the left, that's probably right about the place where the battle between David and Goliath fought. And it's one of the few places that's not like overly commercialized. And so we, we were there, we, we literally on this road, we read the, through the story of, and listened to the story of David and Goliath. And then we went up on the Philistine Hill. Now I am all about team David, I'm just going to say, but they decided let, let's go up and climb that one. Now that one was bigger, I'm just going to say. And so we get halfway up there on that mountain hill, whatever you want to call it. And I heard this sound, meh. Man, and if any of you know me, oh my, I looked at Wayne, he went, oh great. And I said, I mean, I I think he knew in my heart, I was going, can we, please, please, can we? And he goes, let's go. And I had my little cell phone and he had his camera. And so we left other people and we took off down this pasture. And I want you to know when, when I picture a pasture, I always thought it was going to be this beautiful, lush, green, wonderful thing. I'm going to tell you, it's not like that at all. There are rocks and, and there were thorns and thistles and this brush that you have to be so careful where you're walking. But it, it was amazing. And so we're, we're getting up there and all of a sudden I saw the shepherd. And he was dressed just like you and me. I mean, he wore trousers like you guys. He had on a polo shirt. He was drinking coffee out of a styrofoam cup and he had a PVC pipe as his staff. It was absolutely amazing. So I I made eye contact with him and I'm trying to say in my best sign language, can I come up there? You know, and I'm going, and he, he's coming like this. And, you know, how, how do you express, you know, a 54-year-old woman who is absolutely in love with sheep? I mean, I love sheep. I decorate my house in sheep, don't I? But Wayne says, don't give us any. No, don't, don't give us any. Us any. Okay, because Wayne's kind of Because they make a, a mess, I'll have you know. No. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean... We are, I'm just absolutely enthralled. And so, but the the cool thing that happened, because I truly had a moment where I knew God was speaking to me. Because here, all of these sheep, they had their head down and they were grazing. They never put their head up. But I'm going, come here, little lamb, come here, I want to touch you. And you know, as I got close to them, as Wayne got close to them, they moved away from us. You know, we were strangers. Talk about stranger danger. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) We weren't their shepherd. But the most amazing thing happened that left me in tears. The shepherd made a sound. He called to them. And every time he did it, and he did it repeatedly, they stopped grazing. They brought their heads up. And they answered him. And I'm going to tell you, John chapter 10, rang so deep within my spirit because my sheep know my voice. And I thought, it's one thing to know his voice, but those sheep were following. It was a profound, profound statement where I saw the scripture come alive. When they heard his voice, 
And I thought, God, may I be like them. May I stop what I'm doing. May I look up and talk back to you and follow you. Thanks, hon. So, see if I can, a powerful moment in our lives, just understanding, seeing those sheep's head, their, 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 the whole flock, their heads would come up and they would answer him. And this interesting moment where I, you know, you think of a shepherd in the Middle East, you think of a, a guy in Bedouin robes, right? Here's a guy in slacks and a polo shirt and a PVC pipe as a staff. And he looks like us. <laughs> you know these words, this word called incarnation and Emmanuel? We hear them at Christmas time. God with us. And God took on flesh. God who is completely other than human became human for us. Dressed like us. When Jesus was alive, he dressed like the people of his day. Not only just in his robes, but the fact that he actually had bones and eyes and hair. This, this God who arrived in the form yeah. of Jesus, that's what we mean when we say the incarnation, God with us. And what was great about that moment for those people who were alive then was that they could stand right next to God. You talk about being in the presence of God. If Jesus was standing here, they could stand right there. They could put their arm through his arm and saying, I'm right. I'm in the presence of God. But it leaves us with a little dilemma. If that's what they got to experience. They go, man, well, they got that. What do we get? Just a memory? No, you know what Jesus said? It's all, if you think about it, it's all, it's all part of this big plan. Jesus said, I'm going to leave, and it's better for me to leave because if I leave, I'll send you my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit, in, which in Greek is the word in the New Testament is paraclete, the one called alongside to help. As the Holy Spirit, I can stand alongside you, right beside you, and you can put your arm through my presence if you're willing to listen. So the Holy Spirit is not limited to being, if Jesus was here, he couldn't be across the street at the same time. But the Holy Spirit can be here and across the street. And the Holy Spirit can be in your life and my life and the lives of your kids or your family, wherever they may be around this country, around the world. And you go, man, I hope they're doing all right. Do you know what? The presence of God can be right there with them if they'll listen and hear what he has to say. How do you get direction? How do you get to understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit speak to you? I mean, you can have that happen. Did you know that? If you listen and become attuned to recognize the voice of God, you can do that. How can you recognize that, shepherd? Listen closely. Guys, go to the next slide. Okay, there you go. Is it reasonable to expect that God's going to do that? Yeah. Think quickly with me here. All right. If you come to the place where you say, God, all that I have is yours. Not just my stuff, but who I am. And every decision that I have is yours and you shape my heart to reflect your heart. Then when I'm faced with this decision or this decision, deep down in my gut, I'll know what's right and I'll know what's wrong. And I'm going to be close enough to you with my arm in yours that, man, if, I'm, if I do make the wrong decision, you're going to say halfway through it, man, this is the wrong way. And I'm going to switch tracks, if you will. We need to be so deeply in tune with the voice of God that that becomes automatic for us. You know how you get that? Proximity. You don't have to go out in the forest and hear the big, you know, the God voice that's really loud and, oh, now I heard God that maybe you hear a few people have now and then. No. The case of Christians throughout all the millennia is this, that as they get close to God in Jesus Christ, 
great things happen when they get to hear his voice. How do you get to do that? Well, you have to have ears that can hear, eyes that can see. Are you familiar with Jesus? Are you familiar with his story? When was the last time you sat down and read just who he, about who he was? Some people start with John. Can I tell you, it's really hard to start with the Gospel of John. To learn about Jesus is a lot of theological language there. I like to, if I want to know about Jesus, I want to know all the details and the, the action stories and maybe start with Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Mark, it's really short. You could go home this afternoon and you could read through Mark in probably an hour and you get, oh man, I've just stepped a little bit closer to who Jesus is so that I can hear what he's got to say. Remember the goal, friends, is not for you to forego um, who you are as an individual, but for you to forego acting like Shrek and hiding in the cave. It's all about a willingness on our part to fully follow. Fully. And yet I must admit, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit hard to do that, isn't it? We sing a hymn around here. It's called, All to Jesus I Surrender. Do you know that? You know the words of that? Throw that, script, throw that up there, guys. Throw a couple slides. There we go. It says, All to Jesus I Surrender. All to Him I Freely Give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily living. Then the chorus goes, I surrender all. And we sing that occasionally. That comes around in our rotation here about once every 10 to 12 weeks or so. Great hymn. But can I tell you just a little bit different story on that hymn? This business of surrender and following and getting close and reading and listening and knowing how to just intuitively make decisions that honor God. Ashley Cleveland is a well-known artist, musical artist. She was discovered by Atlantic Records in 1991. In the time since then, she's released nine critically acclaimed albums. She has two Dove Awards, three Grammys, the only person to ever won three Grammys in a row in the same, in the same genre, she, and the only woman to have actually won in that genre as the best um, um, rock gospel album. And she, uh, has, she has a sweet spot in her life right now. She lives in Nashville with her husband and three kids. But in her biography, um, Little Black Sheep, she points a different picture and paints a different picture, if you will, of what life was like before Jesus Christ and before stepping into closeness with him. It's a story of a dysfunctional family when she grew up and little hope in the family so that by the time she was a young adult, she was making really bad decisions about her own life in regards to alcohol and sexual activity and um, drug abuse and everything. But then she met Jesus and kind of made this decision. I'm going to choose to be, in terms of proximity, I'm going to choose to be fully engaged with who Christ is. Well, this is what she says in her book. I had a pastor for many years who forbade us to sing I Surrender All. He said it was a crock. He said no one surrenders all and that most people, if they are honest, aren't even qualified to sing, catch this, I surrender some. All right, we sing I surrender all, but I think she's calling us out effectively that maybe we have difficulty to say I surrender some. I'm solidly in that camp. I know about selective, selective surrender and cherry-picking my life before handing it over to God's care. Here, you can have this because I didn't want it anyway. God knows all about that too. But here's the thing. A little bit of surrender is a lot of surrender. By the same token, a little bit of hope is a lot of hope. A little bit of faith is a lot of faith. And all these things have the same source, the Heavenly Father who is so entirely counterintuitive 
that he delights in investing his power in tiny things like mustard seeds and broken fools like me. I really don't foresee a day when I will never let go without a fight. But it's helpful to remember that I am not, as Richard Richard Rohr says, giving up, but giving to. There's that line that I mentioned to you 30 minutes ago. I'm not giving up, but I'm giving to. And there is an enormous difference. My experience of surrender is not a tidy line in the sand, but it's more like, let go, take it back, let go, take it back, let go. The day when I will it and the day that I do it are rarely the same day. (laughs) I get this woman. I've never met her before, but I get the sentiment, mostly because I think it's real. It's not mamby-pamby spirituality. It's real spirituality that says, I've got to walk it out today and then tomorrow and Tuesday when the work week starts this week and so forth and so on. And I've got to figure out how to, how to give it to the right person, how to give up who I am to the right person and give it to him. I'm working on that. A lot of reasons. One of them being, I don't want to be Shrek the sheep. I don't want to carry around more garbage or more years of accumulation than I need to. I want to experience the presence of God and I want to put my hand up against the bricks of who God is and I want to be able to say, amen, I'm walking with God and and I'll treat God with great reverence. In the meanwhile, I'll put my arm in the arm of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and say, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? I'll go. Let's pray together. Father, may you graciously carry us And frankly, lead us. Scripture says that you want to be our shepherd. And sometimes, Lord, the truth of the matter is we don't want to listen to a voice of a shepherd. But in this moment right here, we're kind of come to the place where we want to do that. Um, And then we ask you to have us um, give us the courage to actually walk it out tomorrow. Lord, if there are people in chaos right now, I pray to use that chaos to sharpen their vision and shift their priorities to walk with you. We ask God that your rod and your staff would bring us great comfort. We want to rely on you this week, not just on ourselves. You're far wiser than we are. And so God, help us to lean into you for all that you want to do in us, for us, and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.